Our society has changed in many ways in recent decades, particularly when it comes to sexual attitudes, appetites, and activities. Christian parents and kids are now forced to encounter and engage people who unblushingly participate in activities, whether in private or in public, that, well, make us very uncomfortable. Now, to make matters worse, in some cases, Christian families have been fined and even jailed when their responses to things they believe to be in violation of their consciences and religious convictions clash with today's politically correct social norms. So how then do we teach our kids to navigate an ungodly world in a genuinely godly way? Well, we'll find out next on Licensed to Parent. Hello and welcome to Licensed to Parent, our weekly adventure into our cultural surroundings to separate fact from fiction, godliness from godlessness, and wisdom from nonsense. Our host is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for troubled teens. And I'm Rich Rosel. Now, Trace, uh, I know that you've got some strong opinions in this area, but I also know you well enough to know that you have nothing but love for all human beings, whatever they claim to be or to do. Yet you're also not afraid to love people enough to share with them what you know about healthy living and what Scripture calls godly living. Yeah, you know, I've always told my kids, Look, I love you too much to care what you think about me right now. Uh, th- these are the things that have to be done for the day. Right. Uh, well, you know, it may or may not be obvious to our listeners that we're talking about LGBT issues today, but more and more Christian parents are being confronted with these issues in ways that you know, are affecting them you know, like never before. And uh, it's affecting their kids as well. But uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I don't hate anyone, Rich, and, and, I'm, and I'm not going to let uh, anyone tell me that I do. Because there are a lot of Christian parents uh, and their kids right now. Who, who don't know whether to, to spit or wind their watches without <laughs> offending someone in the gay community. Right. Yet at the same time, these same God-fearing people also want to stay faithful and obedient to the God they believe created all people, uh, right. gay and straight alike. And that's largely what today's broadcast is going to be about today. So we want to be sensitive and Christ-like in a world that no longer thinks anything close to a biblical worldview anymore. And hopefully today's guest will help us get that sorted out. Well, we've, we've both used the word navigate here, and that is indeed what we're trying to do, is navigate through right, what Skipper. is a very confused culture right now. Stay tuned, Gilligan. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to it. Hey, little buddy. <laughs> well, help, helping us learn how to navigate uh, through it all today is Glenn Stanton. Glenn is the director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. Uh, he debates and lectures extensively on the issues of gender, sexuality, marriage, and parenting at universities and churches around the world. Uh, he also served the George W. Bush administration for many years as a consultant on increasing fatherhood involvement, and that was part of the Head Start program. Glenn is the author of nine books. He's a senior contributor to the Federalist blog. He's got a new book out called The Myth of the Dying Church, How Christianity is Actually Thriving in America and the World. However, we've invited him here to discuss his previous book, which, as the title would suggest, is right on topic. It's called Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. And it explores how Christians should interact with gay, lesbian, and trans neighbors in a Christ-honoring way. Glenn Stanton earned a bachelor's degree in philosophy, communications, arts, and religion. And he has a master's degree in philosophy, history, and religion from the University of West Florida. We think that's probably enough credentials to make him a valid guest on today's program. We'll take it anyway. We're glad and welcome to Licensed Apparent. 
Well, thank you, guys. It's good to be with you. Well, I, I guess I want to start out by asking, uh, you know, so much controversy over this thing and finger pointing, how we Christians have been most culpable in, in not uh, responding to the LGBT uh, community uh, in a Christ-like manner. How, what, what have we done that's really kind of uh, lit a fire? You know what? You, you hear a lot of Christians say, well, the Christian church has a lot to apologize to the gay and lesbian community, and, you know, I could be as critical of the church as, as anybody, and I just don't see that. I really don't. I mean, what I see is, is I get out and about and talk with people all over the place, you know, pastors and church staff and individuals, you know, they'll say, well, this individual came to our church, or we encountered this situation, or, you know what, my child came out um, to us two weeks ago, and I'll ask, how did you guys respond to that? And even at very conservative churches, um, they responded wonderfully, mm-hmm. and I think that's very important for us. I mean, can we do better? Absolutely. But have have we been guilty of just treating folks like this horribly? Um, I just do not see it. And a bit of it has to do, Trace, with how you opened the show, and I, I, I think very well, is we feel like we have to apologize um, and say that, you know, we don't hate people. Well, it's not that they have looked at us and said, okay, my goodness, you are acting very hateful. Unfortunately, it's the thing of if you don't buy into everything about me and my sexuality, then you must hate me. And that is just not an adult way to respond. Oh, I, I mean, when people make that accusation, it's, it's I, and I don't mean this cutting, but it's sort of like our kids when they say, uh, can I go to, you know, a sleepover at Johnny's house? No, you can't. Well, you hate me. Right. Um, yeah. It's just not a good way to start off a relationship. And so I always respond to it simply this way. Can you tell me what I've done or how I've treated you that makes you say that I hate you? How much of the LGBT uh, momentum that, that has been going on in our culture the last few decades how much of this is just culturally driven through Hollywood and music, uh, talk shows, comedians, uh, where people who may have had a fleeting thought about this issue have now uh, dipped their feet into the waters and decided, you know, I kind of like this water. Uh, is there any merit to that? Oh, my goodness. I mean, in, in terms of social psychology, to use a fancy term. I was just reading about this yesterday in some academic studies, and it's called social contagion. And what it is, is when a society starts talking about something, the society starts doing it or thinking. Um, If, you know, if you were to talk about you know, like, oh, my goodness, I'm getting this itching thing. And everybody were talking about how they're getting this, you know, itching thing. It puts it in people's minds and it kind of normalizes everything. You know what? I'm having this itching thing as well. And 
um, it's, yeah, it, it is a very, very real thing. And that's why we're seeing so many kids today. I, see. I mean, what, what it was, what is it about these kids who like, well, I'm not the gender that I was born yeah. to be. I mean, yeah. that's never been an issue, but it's put in their minds. Absolutely. I see it all the time. And I see kids come out of this all the time with, with no, uh, uh, conversion therapy, reparative therapy, none of it. It's just that they're they're a little removed from the culture for a year, and they get to see as what Paul Harvey used to say is the rest of the story. But I think when you bring smartphones into the equation, now you've put culture on steroids. And I've heard it defined, uh, uh, culture that is, as being the ideas, interactions, and institutions that help a people group know how to think, feel, and act. And so I, I think that's uh, exactly what's happening with a lot of these kids. I'm not saying that there aren't kids who, or adults that, that genuinely struggle, but now there's no reason uh, or incentive to fight that. It's not you know, considered anything that's abnormal or sinful anymore. Of course, sin, who knows what sin is anymore. But now it's, it's, it's the place where laws are being passed that force us to kind of adhere to some things that we know to be, um, let's put, let me just say, not right. And G.K. Chesterton once said, before you tear down a fence, find out why it was put up in the first place. Now, does this statement have any relevance or comparison between our old laws in America and some of the, the new laws and attitudes concerning the LGBT community in recent years? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's a question that we need to ask ourselves and to say, I mean, the assumption is, well, we didn't approve of this kind of thing or it wasn't socially accepted because, well, we were just backwoods bigots who weren't enlightened. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's just such an easy, cheap answer. Right. And we have to ask, is there a compelling reason why, first of all, um, a society regulates sexuality. Don't, you know, even just make it about homosexuality. And I think that's very important. I think that's a very important point is demystify the issue of, you know what, why is, why is unmarried cohabitation not a good idea? Yeah. Why is, you know, serial monogamy not a good idea? Mm -hmm. Why is this idea of, you know, People should be able to love who they want to love. Ask those questions. And so the LGBT, you know, identified person, if you will, ask them that question and yeah. just say, is there any reason to put up any boundaries around any kind of sexual activity or idea? Yeah. Well, you know, that brings up another point, uh, you know, whether scientifically, uh, uh, biblically, socially or otherwise, uh, should sodomy be legal? Uh, you know, you mentioned the word love. We should be able to love whoever we want to love. But the premise is, is that love and sex are always hand in hand. And I've told people, you know, uh, all my life, I love Bob. I love George. I love, you know, but I never even come close to thinking about, you know, having a, a, a sexual relationship with Bob or George. Why is it that uh, we... We buy into these these uh, premises, and should sodomy be legal? Never used to be. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the issue of just these cheap talking lines. These, you know, I, I call them bumper sticker statements. And you know what? People ought to be able to love who they love. Well, no, there's there's really objective criteria there. You know what? 
a um, college professor can't love his students, you know, in in the sexual sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Brothers and sisters can't love one another in the sexual sense. There's so first of all, I mean, that just proves and disproves um, the veracity of that statement. No, there are boundaries. So now we've just got to talk about where those boundaries are. Yeah. And it used to be with this movement that it was sort of just live and let live kind of. And it was, you know, how is my same-sex marriage going to hurt your marriage? Mm-hmm. Let me count the ways. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's exactly right. Yeah. But now... Now it's, no, you have to let me have my relationship and make my same-sex marriage wedding cake mm-hmm. or do my photography right. at my no, wedding, it, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But how, how much of this love, you know, this confusion between love and lust is uh, more of a language problem? Because, you know, like in the Greek, there's several different uh, words for love, storge, agape, phileo, and uh Eros, which would be the sexual kind of love. And we've got one term, love, and so many, you know, rock and roll songs and and other uh, songs use the word love when they're really talking about lust. Uh, How do we help our kids get past uh, that language problem there? Well, I think it's to point that out. And it's, you know, in a sense, what marriage is about, and C.S. Lewis talked about this in uh, one of his books, you know, sex separated from marriage is taking, isolating the lust, if you will, the physical attraction and the physical desire for the person and separating it from the others, the spiritual, the emotional, mm-hmm. the, um, yeah, the, the relationship side of things that say, nope, I just want your body. I don't want all the rest of you. Mm-hmm. I just want your body. And that's a reduction of the person. Mm-hmm. Should sex be primarily uh, a procreation uh, activity, uh, that, that the bonus is the pleasure behind it? Uh, or should it be first and foremost uh, the pleasure and uh, the offspring be the byproduct of that? Because I think that may be the crux of where we got things uh, backwards. And I think the, the birth control pill back in the, uh, I don't know, what was it, late 50s, early 60s, may have been the, uh, the genesis to a lot of these problems. Your thoughts? Well, no. The birth control pill, which which came around in 1965 or so, um, had a huge impact. And, you know, especially later on when the Supreme Court, I believe, in 1968 said um, single individuals, single women have a, you know, constitutional right to the pill. And basically what that said was, you know what, um, premarital sexuality is is just fine. And it's interesting that, and I study this very, very deeply, is um, there was a woman, a sociologist, she coined the term um, the feminization of poverty. And what she said was women were making great gains in liberation and things like that. Mm, Poverty is hitting women very significantly. And what happened there was Men weren't stepping up to take responsibility for their own children, things Mm -hmm. like that, because of the pill and because of legalized abortion. But we go back to your question, you know, should sexuality, um, 
is it about procreation or is it just about physical pleasure. stimulation and, and uh, yeah, and pleasure? Um, it really is both. I mean, God created it as both, and we really can't separate one from the other. Mm-hmm. Is Yes, it's the intimacy and the pleasure, if you will, between a husband and a wife. Um, but also the procreative nature, I mean, that's what sex is about. And so the two, the two really do go together. Yeah. And, and to separate it out, you know, to say sex is just about pleasure and not procreation is just as wrong as to say, well, sex is about procreation and you really shouldn't enjoy it. I mean, both of those are perversions, if you will, of what sexuality is about. We're talking today on Licensed to Parent with Glenn Stanton. Glenn is the director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. He's also author of the book we're discussing, Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. We'll be right back with more Licensed to Parent right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of e-books, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Helpmytroubledteen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? HelpMyTroubledTeen.org. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. A reminder, if you've missed any of our past programs, we'd love for you to hear them, and you'll find them all on our website at licensedtoparent.org. And our guest today is Glenn Stanton, the Director of Global Family and Formation Studies at Focus on the Family and author of an excellent book called Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. I'd like to ask you about how we teach our kids to love those whose lifestyles we may disagree with, but 
how do we share the love of Christ and how do we love our LGBT neighbors um, without um, compromising our values, let's say? Yeah, and that's a big, big question, and, and it's an important question, and I would answer it in, in two ways real quick. One is we have to understand that, you know, Jesus says we are commanded to love our neighbors. Um, we are commanded even to love our enemies. And so that pretty much includes that we have to love everybody regardless mm-hmm. of their story. And so do we need to love the gay or lesbian um, neighbor, family member, person coming into our church? Absolutely. So how do we do that? And we have to really do it like Jesus did it, of course, as, as Christians. I mean, he's our model. And in the book, I, I work off of John, um, first chapter of John, verse 14, that it says that Jesus came and dwelt among us. He was incarnated came to earth, dwelt among us, and it says that he was full, he did this, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, and the word full, full is an absolute term. You can't be kind of full or somewhat full. It's just an absolute term, and full of grace and full of truth. So which was he more full of, you know? He was full of both of them, and so how do we find out that balance? I love the title of your show, License to Parent. Parents have to make that decision all the time. Amen. You know, when, when do you lay it down for truth and when do you tend to be more gracious with your children? Well, for the gay or lesbian individual, I say it's this. You always, always, always treat the person in front of you, those other set of eyes, that you're connecting with and looking into, you treat them with love, okay? The other is you have to treat the issue, the issue at, at hand with absolute truth. And so always treat the person with love, but you cannot compromise on the issue itself. Mm-hmm. And I think getting that balance right is the trick and the answer to how do we do that? Well, I married my wife knowing that someday I was going to stand over her grave or she's going to stand over mine. And, but I married her anyway because what a true love relationship was worth it. And that's why God yeah. created us to begin with. He knew we were going to rebel. He knew we were going to shake our fists at him. He knew we were going to commit homosexual acts and adulterous acts. But a true love relationship was worth that. And we have to learn through these experiences, uh, you know, how to... Uh, uh, to become more godly in the process. But I've heard a lot of people say that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. If he's really the word of God, then how can anyone say that he's, uh, he said little to nothing about it? Because the Bible is the word of God and everything is authored from, from the throne room itself uh, from our premise, a biblical worldview. So how can Christians, some of who claim to be practicing homosexuals, using your Bible and mine, how do they say that Jesus never said anything about it? Well, you know, and I, and I like your, your line of reasoning there and your line of thinking, but first of all, we need to see that statement as clever manipulation. If you look at a concordance of, you know, what Jesus said and didn't say, they're absolutely right. But Jesus didn't say anything about a lot of things, as I always say. He didn't say anything about stiffing your waitress on her tip, but I think he's not real big on that. The question that I ask, that I come back with that, is to say, yes, Jesus 
didn't say a lot about a lot of things, yeah. but will you tell me this? What is the sexual ethic that Jesus taught? What did he teach about sexuality? And they won't have an answer for that because the Jesus never said anything about homosexuality is just a talking point for them. Mm-hmm. But they haven't actually thought about what was it that he did teach. Yeah. And Mark 10 and Matthew 19, at the very beginning of those chapters, talks about that very clearly. Yeah. The Bible teaches principles. And a lot of the principles that Christ and other uh, others in Scripture taught uh, can just be logically carried over into the things in, in, in the 21st century. But, you know, if, if you want to manipulate uh, Scripture, just like you can manipulate the law and send an innocent guy exactly. to prison or, 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 you know, keep a guilty one out of it. And, and that, by the way, is one of the challenges that we're facing on another um, level in the United States right now, and that is an overabundance of laws and an underabundance of principles that we follow. When When our kids were little... We had four rules of the house, and that was it. And we didn't, therefore, have to lay down all the rules and regs about everything. Yeah. We could always bring yeah. it back. Does this fall under one of these categories? Did you break one of the big rules in doing mm. this? And they understood. How about this? Love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would yeah, have to do I mean, that covers yeah. it all right there. Christ was much better than our family because he narrowed it down to two. Yeah. But, yeah. but still, you know, yeah. I think that mm-hmm. principle applies. Uh, question I want to ask you. Uh, adulterers and fornicators, uh, they don't openly and preemptively identify themselves by their sexual appetites or proclivities. Uh, in light of scriptures that speak about not even mentioning the sins that people commit in secret, has the LGBT community been at all culpable of forcing Christian parents into having discussions with their kids about sexual matters, especially since so many in the LGBT community actually do identify themselves, first and foremost, by their sexual appetites and proclivities, rather than by their nationality, profession, religion, or something less offensive? Uh, yeah. Do, do you yeah. see my point there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's a big, big point that I make is, okay, you're an individual— Christian, you live in a community, you work at a place, and, you know, you have gay and lesbian individuals that are around you, and you want to make friendships and relationships, and the other person wants to be seen as Jim the gay man or Lisa the lesbian woman. But here's the answer and the response from the Christian is you say, you know what, I'm, I'm glad you live next to me. I'm glad that we could become friends. But could I just see you as Lisa the person? I don't want you to judge me as Glenn the Christian right. or Glenn the researcher. Um, you know what, how about if we just interact with each other based on our own humanity, who we are? And so let me value you for you rather than you for one aspect of you. And it is amazing that when you bring it up that way, you'll see this strange look on their face like, <laughs> yeah, that seems reasonable. That's how I bring it up. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's the way that you are actually honoring them more than they honor themselves. Well, that's a good is, point. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Well, Glenn, would you be willing to come back and do round two of this discussion? Because we haven't got past the first page of questions that I wanted to ask you on this subject. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You bet. 
Awesome. Well, we will do that in our next exciting episode here with Glenn Stanton. Uh, Glenn, by the way, is the Director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. That is a mouthful. And author of the book we've been talking about, Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. You can find that book as well as his latest book, The Myth of the Dying Church, How Christianity is Actually Thriving in America and the World. You'll find them on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Glenn, thanks so much for being with us this week. Thank you, brother. You betcha. Thank you. And you'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. A reminder that Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. That's a year-long, Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Now, you can help the work that we do here continue by supporting the Shepherds Hill Scholarship Fund. Your tax-deductible gift will go directly to helping families who can't afford residential care for their teens get the help they so desperately need. You can give securely online when you visit our website, LicensedToParent.org, and click the Donate button. Again, LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to tell a fellow parent about us and then join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.